Jason, I have one question for you. Oh, yeah. If in our lifetime, we can go to a space station or into space for a reasonable price, would you go? Uh -uh, No way. That's dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) I want young. I want other people to go. (laughs) I don't want to be rapid, unscheduled, disassembled. (laughs) (laughs) And recently, NASA, this was only in the last week or two, reached out to CNSA and basically said, can we please have a sample of the moon regolith that you retrieved. uh, Mm. Could you send some of that to the United States? China has not responded because the United States has this uh, law they passed in 2011 called the Wolf Amendment, which where Congress basically forbid NASA from cooperating with CNSA. So China's Mm. thinking, should we, you know, give you some regolith? And so I I think it's going to be interesting whether they say no or yes, but I have no idea. It's going to be really interesting. There are a lot of comments online saying that China should send some mooncakes. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, hey, this is, this is what, what's been driving us Chinese people to try to get to the moon because how good it is. Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Welcome to The Bridge. My name is Jason, and today with me is Alex Schur. Hello, everybody. This is Alex. And Alex is remote. Where are you? I am in Nanning City in Guangxi Province. So oh, I'm in wow. the southern part of China as we speak. I've been to Guangxi. I've not been to Nanning. I'm really excited about today's episode. We're going to be talking about science and science fiction, STEM and all that. So China. What? What? Yes. It's so exciting for me. I want to, I think I should just do a podcast about this. Uh, China, the US, Japan, India, the EU, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and more have set their sights on the moon, Mars, and low Earth orbit. We've got the latest from NASA, the race to private space stations, and does interest in sci-fi equate with interest in science? From the U.S. to China and the world, how are we collectively embracing space? What do you think, Alex? I think sci-fi and science are so closely tied together. You can't really tell them apart. The whole definition of sci-fi is that it applies science. If it doesn't apply to any science at all, then it's fantasy. Like, uh, hmm. uh, why am I thinking Dungeons Lord and Dragons? Of the Rings. No, uh, Lord, yeah, and um, <laughs> um, what's the other one? The the fire and ice one. Fire and uh, ice. Oh, the uh, dragons thing. Yeah. Yeah. See, the name is not coming up. Oh my god. Uh, d- d- Dungeons and Dragons. I have no. I don't That's- know. <laughs> Yeah, it's this I've really, ruined it. I've ruined yeah, it. Yeah, everyone knows what we're talking Game about. Game of Thrones. Game of there Thrones. There we go. Right? Game of Dragons. Dragons of Thrones. <laughs> okay, you know, I want to point out that I, I, my first book that I ever read was mm. Jules Verne. It was like 1860, the year wow. 1860. Jules Verne from the Earth to the Moon, which is a short book. It's like 100 pages. And that's why it was easy for like mm. a nine-year-old Jason to read. And uh, it's about basically about going to the moon. And this is a, hun- a full hundred years before we went to the moon. Theoretically. So like, that's really exciting because science fiction essentially says this is something we might be able to do. And then science says, can we do that? Really? Maybe, you know, look at Star Trek, the next generation for nerds out there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. They were holding like (laughs) iPads, essentially, in the show, walking around with iPads. Pretty much. And now we have those, right? Yeah. You know, all the wearable tech that we thought were just cool for Robocops like 20 years ago. (laughs) Now, nowadays we have them because that's if we think if you think about it, it's basically 
the fundamental uh, methodology of science, which is you come up with an assumption or like a, a theory, and then you're going to do all sorts of tests and experiments and development to see mm. if it's true. Mm. And that's basically what science, science fiction is doing for the development of science. Well, I got to say some. there's some folks on YouTube I follow and they are always trying. Mm -hmm. This is maybe this is I don't think this is the most use of science, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there trying engineering and scientists trying all kinds of things, but they are trying mm -hmm. to make lightsabers. So they have different iterations of how they would do that. We're using like oh gas my God. and blow torches and all kinds of stuff. And some of them are blow torches. literally so close. Crazy. They're cutting through cars and stuff on this YouTube channel with these lightsaber looking devices. Basically, I think science fiction, mm. you know, these are really hyper creative, like edge of, you know, creativity people are coming up with all the things that they've ever, you know, imagined and showing them to us and in playful stories. And then scientists are like, yeah, just like what Alex said, they're like, can we do that? Yeah. Let's try to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much what you need when you write a sci fi story. At least you need to kind of understand some very basic scientific theories. This is what I tell myself because, you know, uh, Jason and I, we've talked about uh, both of us participating in sci-fi related events. And then you hear all of these mm -hmm. exciting stories and you're like, maybe I can write those stories as well. But you do need to understand science. And you're like, you try to comfort yourself a little bit. You're like, maybe I don't need to know that much. I just need to know the basic theories of science. And then I can write an, a, an amazing story. Um, but apparently these sci-fi writers all have a very solid foundation in science training. Well, so, I don't want to say anything bad about Star Wars and be disparaging about Star Wars. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And if it's Star Wars, I'll watch it. But that's not science. <laughs> it's like the opposite of science. It, it's more fantasy than science. Like a, you got sound in space, go and all these, you know, and you got lightsabers and magic powers. And I think and the Wookiees. Right. You got, yeah, <laughs> sure. All kind, you know, I think some science fiction is more just playful. And then some science fiction is like, wow, that sounds like something we should try, you know? So yeah. a lot of that's really, really exciting. Um, yeah. I want to talk about hard science before we get into science fiction real fast. So mm. I'm from the United States of America. We kind of, along with the Soviet Union, have a long history with trying to get into space and do space stuff. So NASA, what is it working on? A lot of you guys have heard of the Artemis mission because they've been working on it for like 20 years. Now, I read mm. an article, uh, I think it's ABC 2006, and it says, literally, a quote, quote from the article is, uh, NASA will be back on the moon no later than 2020. So uh, it's 2023, and we're looking at like <laughs> 2030, you know, and, and, and Elon Musk is talking about 2028. And so it's probably not going to happen by 2030. That's all I'm saying. China has a plan. No, I mean, it's 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 a big thing. It's a it's a big uh, it's a big project. Sure. So yeah. If it has uh, some plays, we'll wait. My point is China has a plan. The Chinese National Space China National Space Agency. Now, I always want to say Chinese National Space Agency for some reason. The CNSA have a plan to go to the moon, too. Now, the thing about China is China has a tendency of delivering on its promises earlier. So if it says we're going to be mm. there with humans, 
humans on the moon in 2033, you can count on it. at least by 2033, it's going to happen. Whereas NASA has the opposite. They keep saying, oh, it'll be 2010. Oh, no, no. It's going to be 2020. Oh, no, no, no. It's going to be 2030. Mm. So I have a good feeling, you know, by the time NASA's back on the moon, there'll be Chinese, you know, astrotaikonauts waving back Let's at them. see. Is it the tea or the coffee that's going to rule <laughs> the new moon station? <laughs> okay. So um, one thing, you know what? Elon Musk, why he built all of the industries that he has been in was always based on a single I read his biography mm. it's an autobiography it's not by him but the uh, the writer r- r- interviewed him when in around, yeah. around the year 2000 he really wanted to do one single experiment where he put a single little greenhouse you know the size of like a box uh, that you could carry in your mm-hmm. hands on Mars with plants in it and see if they would grow and then he asked you know various uh, NASA and uh, Roscosmos which is Russia's version of NASA hey could you help me do this and they were all like ha 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 ha, ha. and no and so <laughs> then he went to, he tried to buy rockets from Roscosmos and he got in a lot of trouble with a lot of uh, U.S. intel for doing that. They wasn't able to Mm. do it. So then he's like, you know, screw it. I'm going to just make my own space company. And that's where like SpaceX comes from is he just wanted to do this little experiment. Now he's trying to colonize Mars. So China also has plans to move on to Mars. And NASA also has plans to put humans on Mars. And, And this guy... Uh, Elon Musk also has plans to put humans on Mars. He wants to build a city of a million people by 2040, something like that. So that's uh, really soon. Yeah, that's really soon. So he, his p- original plan was to launch a non-human, uh, I guess, uh, what's the you know, automated system to launch from Earth to Mars by 2024. It looks like it's not going to happen because we're still a little behind on the, uh, what is it called? Starship, which is not, mm. it is, it, it, what is it called? A rapid unscheduled disassembly. It blew up. So that's what they call yeah. they officially call it a rapid unscheduled disassembly. It means it blew up. So it still hasn't. Made- I like that term. I like that term. <laughs> not, not what happens in real life, but it just sounds cool. Yeah. Like when anything falls to pieces, I can just say that. It's a I rapid- have a lot of stuff in my house that rapid unscheduled disassemblies all the time. <laughs> my cats okay. are making well, sure of it. Go ahead, Alex. I'm sorry. I know. I know. It's not saying we're saying that this disassembly of a spaceship is funny, but that's just the well, there's no people use. on it. So I think it's a little funny. Still, I know. I know. But again, I don't think it's going to happen in 2024. Like we're yeah, saying, yeah. we. I feel like if it's such a big thing that's going to happen, at least we should know the people that are going on by now. Right. Whether it's astronauts or whatever, they should be in training and if they're sure to go which is should be scheduled you know we should have known who they are and the kind of the rough estimate of which stage they're looking at already so i don't think it's going to be the next year or two at least but you know it still gives me hope that within my lifetime we'll have a colony on another body in space that would be so cool i mean i need that before i pass from this earth <laughs> if we get this one thing you know there's like a couple dozen people living on mars whoever does it good on you like saudi arabia china uh, elon whoever can get there and do it i'm for it so and i think that's one of the things that's cool about space is that's typically been a lot more cooperative than other <laughs> you know even when the soviet union and the united states were like fully having proxy wars against each other in the middle of the cold war they were still cooperating in space and so i think oh that my god science mm. brings us together it's a unifying thing and recently nasa this was only in the last week or two reached out to cnsa and basically said could we please have a sample 
of the moon regolith that you retrieved. Uh, mm. uh, in, could you send some of that to the United States? China has not responded because the United States has this uh, law they passed in 2011 called the Wolf Amendment, which where Congress basically forbid NASA from cooperating with the NSA. So China's mm. thinking, should we, you know, give you some regolith? And so I, I think it's going to be interesting whether they say no or yes, but I have no idea. It's going to be really yeah. interesting. There are a lot of comments online saying that China should send some mooncakes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll be like, hey, this is this is what what's been driving us Chinese people to try to get to the moon because of how good it is. Well, it's not. We've always had a desire to to explore space. But you know, I just thought of a very random joke, Jason. Mm-hmm. If sure. you would bear I with me, I love jokes. You know how we always say something is so good it's out of this world. I feel like once we start the Mars quote unquote colony, we can't say that joke anymore because it might not be as good as it is on Earth. <laughs> you say, oh, oh yeah. this is so good. It's out of this world. You're like, where? Mars? <laughs> yeah. My cousin's on Mars. What are you saying? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Little Timmy's never coming back, by the way. <laughs> That's the name. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making some stuff up. I think Timmy came to my mind because of Christmas story or Christmas Carol. It's about uh-huh. the old guy. It is that time yeah, of the year. Yeah, yeah. So it's really exciting. I also love space stations. That's one thing you see a lot in space movies. And, you know, I guess a lot of my yeah. interest in space and science and technology comes from science fiction. And so China has the most advanced space station in space. I was going to say in the world, but that doesn't really qualify anymore. The Tiangong Space Station, which is far, uh, mm. it's a little bit smaller than the International Space Station so far, but actually with uh, additions that are coming in the next year or two, it'll be larger. It has the most mm. efficient, it can actually produce all of the oxygen on board, whereas the International Space Station, they still need to send supplementary oxygen to the ISS. So it's got a lot more advanced systems because it's built much later. So the ISS yeah. is kind of ready to be decommissioned. It was supposed to be decommissioned in 2020, but they're trying to extend it to 2030 now. And now we have, so we have Tiangong and they have the ISS and there were other iterations of space stations that have come and gone. But now we have... Mm private space stations coming probably within this decade, maybe even within the next few years. I go to this uh, website, space.com, and they have, you know, they're nerds. So there's nothing political on there. (laughs) They don't care about whose flag is where. They just care about who's got the coolest gadget going into space. Mm. And so there's some really interesting space stations that are on their way into space. And so I think some of them are really cool. Some of them actually want to take, you know, so you have Starship, which is essentially the largest uh, capsule, uh, the the thing that is ejected into space. None of the stuff that falls down. And they one company wants to just take this body and turn it into a space station. So uh, SpaceX would essentially launch this into space and it would orbit permanently. But then in the future, you know, whether it's a Sierra Dream Chaser or SpaceX uh, or any country that's docking with it later could send people Mm. up there to stay on it. And it would be a permanent feature of low Earth orbit or a space station orbiting Earth. But there are other ones also that are being developed by Bigelow Space Outfit. Mm. There's so much. And I think China is expanding its space station. So before we get to Mars, probably there'll be at least three or four or five different space stations orbiting the Earth. And that's really cool because I think about it this way. It's not just about a bunch of cool gadgets and billionaires orbiting and and scientists, (laughs) but it's like if something goes wrong on one, there's a higher probability that 
help could come. Mm, that'll really require every country or organization or institute or whoever that launches the space stations to work together, which also kind of is hopeful for what we're looking at in this world right now with so many disagreements and, and disputes. Maybe this is one thing that we can all work together on. But Jason, I have one question for you. Oh, yeah. If in our lifetime we can go to a space station or into space for a reasonable price, would you go? Uh -uh, no way. That's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I want young. I want other people to go. <laughs> I don't want to be rapid, unscheduled, disassembled. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it is great that we can or have that possibility to go. But uh, I think I'm going to stay on Earth as well. <laughs> I have we have like, what, 60 years left tops. But, you know, I think I'll be OK with 60 years of not venturing into space. But it is an exciting, exciting process. Well, I mean, I don't always think of myself as just Jason Smith, the individual person. I think of us like a cells and a human body. And, you know, if some of us. Oh, well, you go into metaphysics. Well, yeah, exactly. Yes, I am being metaphysical. I'm, if some humans can go into space, I feel like, you know, I have gone to space because I, as a collective <laughs> part of humankind, if humankind... I have gone to space. It, well, not me as the cell, right? You know, but if, if, if humans can go into space, then I feel like I'm part of humanity and we did it. You know, that's something we can all share. And, oh, I like the way you yeah. think. That makes me feel so much better about so many yeah, things. <laughs> I, I, I really, I helped with all kinds of amazing feats around the world. <laughs> <laughs> I have won the Olympic gold medal. <laughs> yeah, I have so many Olympic gold medals. You wouldn't believe me. <laughs> More than any individual. Oh, yeah. Listening to the bridge. Some space station names. There's one called Vost Space, which they want to use a SpaceX Falcon 9 as the inaugural segment of the space station. There's one called Star Lab being developed by Northrop Grumman, and they want to actually do Hilton hotels in space. So yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's for that's for the billionaires. Come on, you and I probably exactly. never going to be able to afford that. So uh they're also working on one called Redwire and uh there's a vehicle called Sierra Space uh in the current iteration of that is Tenacity which they've built. It's 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 here on Earth and it's basically like mm. a mini version. It's not a space station, but it's a mini version of the space shuttle. So everyone remembers the US used to have something called the space shuttle uh decades, you know, decades ago, but they've all been retired and now Sierra Space is built building their own space vehicles which can go up to space and back down and land like an airplane. So this is a little bit mm. different than the ones that are currently be being used by SpaceX, by Roscosmos, and even by China, CNSA, because it can be launched like all these other vehicles, but then it lands like an airplane, like at an airport, which is way more convenient than, I guess, being dropped in the middle of the Gobi Desert, right? <laughs> or in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> right. Or in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. So instead, you you get out of your Sierra space pod or whatever, and you're at the airport. So that's kind of nice. I mean, like, oh, where are you going to? Oh, well, Mars, <laughs> our space station. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's really cool. So um, China also, this is from a, a story by Joshua Hawkins from MSN.com. China wants to complete a Mars sample return mission before NASA. Wow. So I Competition. Think, oh, yeah. So that's really cool. De NASA is definitely going to be like, hello, can we have some, please? <laughs> 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 Could you imagine this? The scientific discoveries that can be made by having actual Martian soil here on Earth. Oh, man, it's just there's so many cool things happening in space. 
Uh, okay, so I'm sorry. This episode is not meant to all be about space. It's just I want to talk about what's going on. Yeah. And Alex knows a lot more, a lot about really cool stuff in, in terms of like what's going on at the cutting edge of science fiction. Mm. And so I wanted to talk about that and the connection between science and science fiction. So I'm not a scientist, but I grew up reading science fiction. So it didn't turn me into a scientist. Does science <laughs> fiction lead to scientists? What do you think, Alex? What's your opinion? I think it definitely is one of the biggest encouragement of, for at least younger kids to get more into science because the way that science novels are written or sci-fi movies are made, it does talk heavily about the science behind uh, what makes the story happen. And then if you're a young kid, if the story is really exciting, you're going to naturally be interested in the theory, you know, the way, the, the reason behind everything. And that's the reason we attended this. Uh, this is called po the Day for Day of Popular Science that was hosted by the China Scientific uh, Association. And it talked about how to better use sci-fi in terms of both, no both novels and movies to encourage kids to get into science because again they're younger kids i mean we'll talk about adults later but younger kids when they are very curious about everything that they receive they will get into it and if sci-fi is something that they're curious about they'll get into it i think if we look at an overall fan demographic of star wars even though we're trying to say that you know it's not as it's it's like sci-fi fantasy it's not really all pure sci-fi I'm pretty sure a huge number of the Star Wars fans who started watching when they were little, when they were little kids, probably got to grow into doing something that's related to science. It definitely mm -hmm. plays a huge role. That's a good question. We should ask 100 scientists who are currently in their 30s, right? Between the ages of 25 and 45, how many of them have some kind of Star Wars toy in their home today? And that <laughs> that, that would be like you know a marker uh, that we could show. Look, you know, we have such and such percentage of nerds and they have nerd paraphernalia in their home. <laughs> nerds will save the world. Yes. Maybe nerds, you know, we, we got to value our nerds. Nerds are, are a hot commodity. In the United States, there is a trend and this is just facts. I'm not trying to, in I get a lot of people when I say this stuff online, they think I'm insulting America. Facts are not insults, guys. This is what we need to be thinking about so we can solve these problems. Most Americans mm. do not have, by the time they graduate high school, enough math and science to be competitive in STEM in our own universities in the United States. And so when you go and look at STEM programs, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics in the United States, they tend to be peopled with foreign nationals, people from China, people from Japan, yeah. people from India, people from South Korea, et cetera, Germany. These people who did have a higher quality K through 12 STEM kind of education, they are peopling US universities. And so so there is a disconnect between our education system. We have a very, very good higher education system in the United States and a lackluster K through 12 education. And so, you know, we're looking at places like India and China and Japan, and it's not surprising that there's a lot more scientific innovation going on yeah. over here. And so, you know, one of the things that I have noticed and you have noticed, we've talked about this before, mm. is that the central government of China is encouraging children to take up interest in science fiction. And so both of us have been to, you know, these, uh, we've actually been to the same ones actually in, in some cases. Yeah. Just at different yeah. sections of the event. So we yeah. didn't see each other. <laughs> science fiction uh, conventions here in Beijing and in China. And so there, there's a huge 
push in movies and TV and among kid books and all, all cartoons to, to look at science fiction and to encourage China, the new youth of China to be creative and innovative and look at you know all the kinds of things that they can use these math skills on in the future in their careers. So uh, yeah. your uh, partner is also really involved in, what is it, Pixar? Yeah, Pixar and, and Disney. And, and he and gave a speech at one yeah. of these presentations here in, in Beijing. Yeah, I think he, he did two couple of events. He did a couple of panels at different signs. He kept asking me, this is this is how many events that are going on every year in at least just Beijing because we have more immediate access to what's going on. But he would be like, mm -hmm. oh, what event are we attending? And then these events will have like kind of similar names. When you translate them into English, they sound very, not identical, but it's hard for you to remember and tell them apart. And he's like, mm -hmm. are we going back to the same event? I was like, no, it is about popular science or no, this one's about science fiction or no the other one is about about like you know uh just access to to science for people so it's all of these events that he has been to and that's uh being organized by different institutions here in china so it's not just one you know little group that is trying to advocate for sci-fi it's a it's a huge push mm -hmm. from the government that really encouraged different participants to uh do their part into making science more popular and get people more interested in sci-fi related stuff so that it feeds back to the development of science. So we did talk about the uh, the science fiction festival that was held in Shogong Park. Yeah. What is yeah? What, what's interesting to me is that it's not just that particular festival or any one festival. Yeah. I don't know what's going on in other cities, but here in Beijing, the Shogong area is almost now devoted to science, to science fiction, and that kind of thing. And so people go there. They take photographs. There, there are auto, so there, nice. what, what are they called? Uh, AI uh was it is that the right word there AI operated buses there there AI operated cars there so you can get into these cars with that are driverless and they drive you around buses that are driverless and they drive you around oh really oh yeah oh yeah you didn't know that I oh my gosh I no I didn't I've never tried I've I've so far never been into I've never been inside of a self uh, self driving vehicle well, I you just pop over yeah. there anytime day or night 24 hours a day Baidu has their uh Beijing headquarters there ah, and so they are okay. doing all of their tests they've been doing it for like two or three years they, they've had driverless cars there for at least two or three years because my wife and i went out there to take pictures before we moved to wuhan and so you just ah, you're just standing there and there's just cars driving by and there's no wind in them or there's people in the back and so you can just like pull up your dd and because you're in that special section it pops up and you can choose a driverless car and you know just drive around the area or in in the general vicinity of that part of western beijing and uh yeah uh, okay next time we go there for an event we'll definitely have to try that but also just to just to clarify that whole shogun park it's not a it's not a little park it's a giant oh yeah it's, it's a giant it's area. the size of a so small american big. town yeah town yeah it's really really big also you don't even need to pull the app up go stand at the bus stop and buses will come there they have no drivers jump on you know if you have your uh, wechat you know bus pay <laughs> qr code yep. or your i have i have it built into my watch it's an rfid into my wa my uh, huawei watch mm. you just jump on the bus scan your watch sit down and be driven around i don't know where you're going but <laughs> you're, no one's driving you there you know what would be really <laughs> funny i'm having all sorts of funny ideas for this episode you know how there's we should make a movie about 
people that like to pick uh, just just trying to be picky with everything that they can see or everyone that they encounter, what's going to happen to them in the future. You know, for example, you know, there's people that go on buses and they get really, you know, really uh, a-holish about where they can or cannot get on and off the bus mm. and they'll go yell at the bus driver. Mm. What are you going to do with a bus with no driver in the future? <laughs> Who are you going to yell at? Hey, stop! <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> they're also small, a little bit smaller than normal buses. I'm not sure why. Maybe they're worried about, you know, something could, could still theoretically, hypothetically go wrong. But they're about half or two thirds the size of a regular city bus. Mm. But they're really cute and they're adorable. And most of the people out there in the Shogong area are riding them for fun. It's not like they're trying to go somewhere. But, you know, during the Olympics, they were using these buses in what did they call it? The, the Olympic circuit or something. Mm. It was like the closed circuit area for the Olympians to to move around yeah. in, in Beijing. And they were using a lot of these automated buses, these AI-driven buses, to move people around. So they've already had this experience. And if you remember some of the footage from CGTN News and stuff of the Olympics in Beijing, they had robots in canteens and in cafes making food for people. And yeah. now you look around Beijing, Shanghai, and elsewhere, and you have restaurants where they have robotic restaurants. Waiters, you know, yeah, they bring chef. out the food, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, even just if you go into uh, some of the hot pot places, not it's not Heidi Lao. What's the other one? Shabu Shabu mm. has uh, you don't have to. I mean, I don't want to say don't have to because I love my servers, but you don't need a server in some of these restaurants. You scan a QR code on the table and then your food comes out on a robot and it just brings it directly to your table and then you're eating. And then when you're done, you pay with your QR yeah. code and leave. Theoretically, if nothing goes wrong and you don't need any help, you don't need to communicate with a server at all anymore in some restaurants. Yeah. You know, the yeah, the hotel that we're staying in. So are a lot of the other hotels nowadays, you know how we have the very convenient and immediate delivery service available to basically in every city. Uh, but in hotels, you don't really want the delivery person to come up to for all kinds of reasons. You know, whether it's for safety right. or for yeah. privacy, for whatever, yeah. and that you don't have to worry or about inconveniencing that. the them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the other guests and stuff. So instead of having the delivery person run up the building, um, they put it down at the front desk and the front desk will just put the room number into this little robot and the robot will come to your door and they call you. And then the little robot voice in the vo in the phone will say, hey, I am in front. I'm outside of your door with your stuff. So if you could just open the door for me. It's really cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've and had you, it so many right, times. and you open the door, and there's a little a little compartment in there, and then it says all kinds of like really cute and sweet things, and then it just goes away. I have to eat my words because I, at the beginning of the show, I basically said Star Wars is not helping with this process, but look at Star Wars droids. You know, R two D two in Return of the Jedi I was, about to say. was a service droid carrying drinks around and serving people, and now in China, oh, in wow. a, every hotel I've stayed in the last six months, I have to say They've, they have. These. Yeah, they have these robots that bring you food to your door. So I, I was in Shanghai recently for uh, uh -huh. CIIE, China International Import Expo, and I was in the hotel in the yeah. uh, in the evenings editing videos and stuff and downloading things. Uh -huh. And so I would order Taco Bell because, hey, I'm, I love Taco Bell. Oh and every God. day there would be, <laughs> you know, a phone call 
ring, ring, ring. And so I yeah. don't even have to answer the phone. I just go straight to the door and there's a robot there with my food in it. And so like yeah. we in China, guys, wherever you are in the world, we have robots. We have droids. Yeah. You know, Star Wars came true for us. It would be cool if they changed the voice of the robot. Because right now it's like a cute little kid's voice. Yeah, it's a kid's if, voice. If they change it into R2's voice, that would be even beep, better. Beep. Boop, boop, beep, beep, boop, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just text on the little screen that you could see but the, the, the way it talks is like how R2 talks well, you know, super cute. R2 was more trying to be beep boopy but what's the new one that the round one and the new the newest movies actually is a human voice that has been accelerated and made to ch- change into strange pitches. What is it? BB-8. Oh. The little orange one is actually using yeah, yeah, yeah. English words. And so what they could... I did not know yeah, that. Tr- well yeah, you could go and watch a, a tutorial on YouTube all about it like Jason does because he's a nerd (laughs) right but you know we could actually get them to sound kind of bb8-ish or r2d2-ish but actually be using words that are barely comprehensible or you know how you can kind of get inflection from people even though you didn't really hear what they're saying you know or you know dogs sometimes they kind of communicate with you but like the way they rough or the cat we could get these robots to essentially be talking to us in you know mandarin or in english or whatever but it could still sound bb bop boop or whatever (laughs) and it could be words that you kind of get it'd be like you know your food are here or whatever <laughs> like yeah <laughs> or deet, deet. you kind of understand oh deet, deet means yes yeah all right got it all right cool it's gonna sound a lot cuter than both jason and i so don't worry it's gonna they're just they're just literally gonna copy my voice and be using it now well copyright <laughs> is going to be a tricky issue jason i give up my copyright right now i'm okay with just being the most famous everyone hear my voice calling you on your hotel room <laughs> when you're when your food comes it's jason's voice yeah <laughs> I, i'm so excited because all the stuff when I was a kid that I thought oh wow that's so cool we got that yeah it's so amazing like we're actually living in the age where science fiction is beginning to you know become true Mm. it's it's really just an amazing time to be alive I feel so honored to live through this timeline or like this time of world history because you know, we, we were talking about earlier, you know, Star Trek, they had these little iPads. And you're like, wow, you know, my time at, at that, I had a tube screen computer that was so heavy, you had to carry it in segments, just the screen with two people, just oh the hard God. drive. You know, now, now you can just walk around with a computer in your pocket. That's yeah. way better than the computer that I had when I was a kid. And now we have droids in, you know, China and maybe some other advanced countries and in some places. Mm. And, you know, it's just amazing. So yeah, there is, seems to definitely be a, a definite connection between the imaginations of science fiction writers and science fiction, you know, producers, directors, and and all of these artists and what's our world is filling with the art from their imaginations. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. Absolutely. We've, uh, you know, I've uh, recently have a friend who works for, I'm not sure if we can talk about the product, but it's a, it's a gaming gadget that could also be used as a portable little computer. And then the, the handles, is it called the handles? Not the, not the handles, the remotes. I'm, I don't game, so I don't know what the gadgets are called, but you know, it comes <laughs> off the, the, controller. the controller. Thank you. The handles, uh, the controller, <laughs> the controller comes off and then they give you like a little base and you put the controller you kind of like slide it onto the base then it becomes a vertical mouse that you can just use your use the big screen the bigger screen that's bigger than your phone and smaller than your your ipad pro so it's easier to carry and that becomes a computer and it's a it's a windows it's not a you know a mac system and it's just super cool and i'm and i'm imagining how this could all be in a movie where it's like you know you take off that whole thing that looks like one thing and then you take it apart and looks like something else 
else. Just these cool ideas that、mm. make people. I think that's what designers in tech and science would do. Like, how would it make cool? How would it make people look cool when they use this product? And what <laughs> technology we need to use to make it a reality? And then I think a lot of that ideas probably are from these old sci-fi movies.、Mm, absolutely, yeah, sure. You know, a lot of science fiction movies are also based on earlier science fiction movies. So it's artists basing their work on artists, and then that's becoming our reality. Yeah,、uh, you know, there, there is a light thing. A lot of people, probably in a lot of developed countries, have come across whether you're in New York, Los Angeles, Beijing, Shanghai, wherever. Like, if, if sometimes there are these projector lights, and they have sensors at bars and things outside, or like fancy malls and things,、mm-hmm. and on the ground there'll be like flowers or fish or whatever. And if you run around, the fish do things; they run away from you, or like lights appear as you're walking around. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When I was at Siftus, so this is kind of an older idea. It's been around for a, at least a five years or something, and you kind of see this in big cities everywhere. But I was at Siftus, China International Forum for Trade in Services. Wow, what a mouthful! <laughs> but I was there, and they had a couple. They had many different sections, but one of them was the most advanced gaming section.、Mm. So all the gamers of the the most advanced gaming technology from all the countries in the world was all there in a couple of warehouses, and they had this one warehouse section, and it was opened up. Yeah. Well, they had a few of them actually that were similar, but there was one, and I have in my mind, and it was the size of、mm. I don't know a basketball court about that. Size, not the actual outside part, but the inside part of a basketball court, the whole, full court. And I looked inside, and there was a line of people trying to get in to play this game. So I was like, I probably don't want to get in the line. There, there are kids there. I want to make sure they get an opportunity. What could be there?、But、there are all、yeah. these kids inside running around, and the floor was an L. LED screen and the walls were LED screens and there were <laughs> and the ceiling was、yeah. an LED screen and there were sensors everywhere and it was like they were、uh, living、yeah. in a video game and where they ran like you know they were getting points and they had to jump out of the way when monsters come and it was like they were literally inside of a giant video game. Now we did a show a month or two ago about how malls. Are、uh-huh. moving away from products and towards services. I imagine、uh, you go to the mall in the future, not too far in the future, only a couple years, and there are rooms like this where you can go play with your partner or your kids or your family or whatever by yourself. You could run around totally different universe where you're not like wearing VR goggles, but you're literally running around in like another universe. And we have this technology. This is the holodeck、yeah. from Star Trek. For the fans of Star Trek, they have. The holodeck and the next generation and DS Nine and all that, we literally have that technology now,、mm. where you can run around in another universe in real time, and it's like you're inside of it. It's just amazing that this stuff is coming. To fruition in in the real world, I can't wait to do that. I gotta say, I love going to the movies.、Yeah. Movies will always be there for me. But you put me in a giant video game, this a full court basketball court size thing with some other people running around. <laughs> oh my! God, I will pay money out the nose for that. I mean, I've never、In、done. Fact, I've never sh- done the Alex, gaming. Alex, let's do this. Yeah, let's run this. Let's open this business. We sh- we should open our own. <laughs> I think I think that we'll open it in Huashi Live, which which is your favorite part of city because there are so many young kids that go there every day. They'll probably pay to do it and won't make money. But I've never been to those places where you are provided、uh, gaming content for a space like that. But I did go. St- 
Jian inside of this this all around LED screen box when I was in the Chengdu Sci-Fi World Sci-Fi Convention, mm. and it felt so different. It's not. It felt different than you're wearing a goggle, uh, a VR goggle. Even though VR is pretty immersive already, mm. it's still you're still reminded with the, the weight and the discomfort sometimes that you're wearing something on your head. Mm. But when you're standing in that screen, it felt so amazing. Mm. It felt really different and very very real. Uh, makes you a little dizzy, but that's the fun <laughs> part. I can't imagine if you have to like complete tasks in that kind of environment. Mm. It would be fun. Let's do it, Jason. You know, there was something like, now that you mentioned that one. There was I also found something similar at Siftus. There, I, it, one of the earlier rooms. It wasn't in the gaming area. It was in the cultural exhibit area. Uh-huh. I went in. I was like, "What is this?" And there's like beautiful lights and colors and music and stuff. And I stepped into a little box. It was early in the morning, first day, and no mm. one was there. And I was literally standing in ancient version of Yuanmingyuan mm. of the old summer palace which was actually like in every wall ceiling floor it was completely and you have a control in the middle of the room so you have a joystick sticking up in the middle of the yeah. room and if i wanted to move around i just push the joystick and i would literally move through the space of the Yuanmingyuan as it existed in like 1850 mm you know, before it was uh, burned down and sacked and all this stuff. And mm. I was just like, wow. <laughs> then I, I took my camera out and I started filming myself inside there for, you can find it on my TikTok. <laughs> it's just, I, yeah, you're right. It's way cooler than the goggles. I got to say, I did try the goggles. They're neat. But being actual, be able to see your hands and your body and it's being different. in the environment. It's a different experience. I think that's the way we should be going. We should be moving away from goggles and towards making our real world sort of like a simulation environment. Oh my gosh. I saw there was a KTV here in Beijing uh-huh. that is all LED screens on every floor, ceiling, and uh, walls. And while you're in there singing, like you can do all kinds of things. Like you're trapped inside of a glass that's being splashed with water, or like you know, mon- oh my god, people are picking you up and looking at you. Like you're inside of a glass. Like there's all kinds of different like environments you can put yourself in. You and your friends while you're in there singing, what? eating snacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is kind of like the tech that's that's rolling out now that we're going to be seeing. Where is this? I don't know. I saw it on a. Doin video that was that was that was someone had pirated and put on TikTok. I see, I see. Oh my god, you would pay for that gaming thing. I would pay for a KTV with a full immersive experience. You know, I love all of that except the, the bad singing. I'm an <laughs> I am an extraordinary KTV KTV singer, and you would I would rule the. the I'm room. sure. Yeah, I would be like I, I I take it all back. Ten years I was mistaken. Alex has shown me the way. <laughs> oh yeah. listening to The Bridge. Look at the United States. I don't want to make them feel bad and left out. Look at the, what is the Las Vegas sphere? What's it called? I'm not sure. They have the giant sphere. That's basically a giant LED screen that's like, you know, all around and it's looking around like emojis. Oh, no, I'm thinking about something completely different. I thought it was that, the the half globe theater thing with the ceiling. Oh, this. Where they made it more. This is, I think, the exterior of that same facility you're talking about. Ah, On the interior, it's like a 3D environment where people are going inside and enjoying these amazing concerts and and they're, they're in 3D uh, worlds and that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a great example of that on a giant, massive scale. But this exists on small scales in local venues already in major cities, at least here in China. Probably, mm. I'm guessing in New York, Paris, London, Los Angeles, also. So we're talking about a whole. And once this starts starts rolling out, remember originally the only people who could afford like iPods were rich people, but now everyone has that and better. So there are only a few venues that have this really advanced technology where it's like completely. Im- 
immersive yeah. screens. But, you know, in five, 10 years, it's going to be everywhere. It's going to be every venue. Yeah. You're going to be get the grocery store and the floor is going to be like trying to sell you products. It's going to be like, go this way. Ah. And we have a special discount on such and such thing. And there'll I'm be like gonna... people picking bananas in like the jungle or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to go into the worker stadium because I haven't been inside of the worker stadium since, the, you know, the grand renovation of it. Mm. I'm going to go inside and, you know, taking this idea of their, the fact that there might be future addition to this place to make it more high tech. I'm going to go in there and see, oh, maybe because they, I'm sure they have to have, have thought of possible upgrades in terms of like technology and mm -hmm. stuff. So they definitely have to leave space yeah. or room or some sort of uh, a possibility in terms of infrastructure for that to happen in the future. So <clears throat> you know what? Let's, I would, I would go in there. I would go watch a game. I, I have never watched a, a Beijing soccer game in the stadium, but I would go in there to see if they're going to make the worker stadium, which is a landmark of Beijing. If you don't know, yeah. make it like the, the, the Vegas sphere as well. Well, I'd love to go too. I'm not a big sports fan, but I'd love to go one time just to have the experience of going there and seeing a game. Yeah. So if you find out when there are games, please send the schedules over and maybe Summer and I will also jump at the opportunity of going to Beijing's Stanley Tour where they have the Workers Stadium and they do a lot of sports. I saw the American ambassador Burns. He, he attended there within a couple of weeks mm. of it reopening. Took some selfies of himself for his uh, Twitter. Lucky. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you're the ambassador, you could just like have a secretary. Can you arrange this for me? I want to go. <laughs> so, yeah. I would love for that to happen to me as well. And, you know, I was noticing <laughs> yesterday it was on the Beijing which is a local paper for mostly expats and people who speak English here in China. And there are so many shows going on that it's it's almost impossible to keep up. There's so many, like at the same time, the same day, there's like 20 things going on all over the city. So yeah. everything is full of life and all of this. And now we have all this new kind of science, advanced technology because scientists never stopped, you know, like maybe they were probably even working harder on their, you know, gizmos and gadgets during the pandemic. So we have all this really cool stuff to go out and explore now and you know the world is just revving with excitement and i'm excited to go out there and become a part of it see all the cool stuff i want to mention really quickly in terms of uh science fiction or science that the uh what is it called the national center for the performing arts ncpa here in beijing which is the symphony hall and like opera hall and musical hall very cool building yeah in addition mm. to the fact that you can see symphonies there you can actually watch symphonies from elsewhere in the world yeah because summer and i we wanted to go to a musical or something an opera so we went <gasps> to see an opera that was happening uh -huh. in real time in italy so we went to see like a madam butterfly but when be yeah. because it was like COVID time. They didn't have all the performers there. And they yeah, yeah. went in and sat down and there was a little space between us and other folks. But we watched Madame Butterfly as it was being performed in Italy, in Beijing, mm. with hundreds mm. of other people. So tech is just, could you imagine it telling someone in the 1980s, you want to go watch the symphony in Italy with me? That's happening on the other yeah, side of the earth. <laughs> other side of the earth right now, down the street. I mean, that's where we are today. And so I want to read, I want to talk about this article I found, Science Fiction and Science Success. So mm. this is by Justin Nicholas from the University of Wisconsin. This is not a um, news article. This is a, more of like a scientific inquiry into whether or not interest in STEM comes from 
science fiction mm. and essentially it's really wordy and verbose and and it's it reads like the back of uh the contents of your pepsi cola it's got a lot of ingredients in it <laughs> but basically it does agree the article basically does agree that people who grow up learning about science fiction reading science fiction novels watching science fiction movies cartoons and things they grow up to want to be scientists or to have yeah. you know interest in chemistry, interest in all these engineering and mathematics and things like that. Yeah. So um I think that's that's really cool to think that now China is you know China was already producing more STEM graduates than any country in the world. But I think essentially this new push is to give them direction maybe. Yeah. To say, look, this is what you could do with that knowledge. Because we're know? on a different business trip here with a animation company. And then the director at the animation company who's this 29 year old young man um, we were sitting together at dinner. We're talking about what everybody studied in college. And this person who was an animation director right now, he actually studied uh, physics mm. and not just any physics. He studied nuclear physics in college. He just pursued a different passion. But, you know, he is someone that's in art with the scientific background. And I'm not going to be surprised if there's going to be more, you know, quality sci-fi stories coming out in China with mm -hmm. all of these young people uh, that are well-educated in STEM. Uh, matter of fact, I saw this video funny video this morning this college uh, mathematics professor is super under the weather and she's not feeling well and so she asked her son who's in high school to come into her classroom and talk to one uh, calculus class to her college what? students <laughs> that's what I was saying earlier wow yeah when you were saying the k-12 education here I think the most knowledgeable time of Alex's life is when I was in uh, high school I knew everything wow. I knew so much from literature to history to geography to science and uh, everything else and, and and English as well it's it's everything that I've ever it's like the peak of my accumulative knowledge in my life and ever <laughs> since then I've been losing it I've been growing I've been, I've been growing in like you she went to study in America and forgot everything <laughs> you know like, well that did put a huge dent on my Chinese skill I will say that because I stopped reading Chinese literature I stopped ri writing stuff in Chinese it did go away but also I mean you grow in in problem solving you grow in other aspects, mm. but in terms of the information yeah. and the knowledge you have, Chinese high school kids probably can rank at very high up on the list, if not the first in the entire world. I got to say, I mean, I'm not, I don't know about creativity, all that stuff. You know, these are th hotly discussed things about the differences between different national educations. Yeah. However, I do know that in China, kids memorize a lot more than I did. There was no point in K through 12 in the United States where I was required to memorize an entire Shakespearean sonnet like and be able to quote it from memory <sighs> but every nine-year-old chinese kid that i meet knows like a 100 ancient chinese poems so yeah there's a definite ability yeah inculcated technical skill within your education system where kids are inundated with just loads of information that they're expected to memorize rote which i think is yeah whatever else we're talking about is an amazing thing that we could learn from in the united states i think we, our kids would do a lot better if they did that too yeah definitely it's always about exposure i think with kids here in china there's a very solid foundation of you know the education that they're receiving thanks to the, the education system and policy here if if they can see more sci-fi related content or just science related content and then if the parents are encouraging enough i'm pretty sure there will be i mean we're already in the the running race and leading the running race in some aspects of, of science development i think it'll just this trend is going to continue 
It's like kids who never seen a theme park will not think about being a theme park designer. But if mm. they um, they've seen theme parks, they see the rides, they see the lights and they see all of the arts in there, then they're going to want to do something cool like mm. that in the future. I'm going to turn the rest of this show, which is not too much longer, into an interview for Alex because you are a resident Chinese person. Mm -hmm. So you have <laughs> uh, insights into what it's like growing up in China. Uh -huh. And I think there are our listeners being a, a lot of them are outside of China probably have some questions. I'm going to try to replicate some of those because I'm curious too. Would you say uh -huh. that there is more science fiction related content coming out now than there was 10 or 20 oh, years ago? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a that's such a definite yes. I mean, I've, I've had the honor to actually meet a lot of young writers, not young writers. They're not young. They're younger. You know, they're like in their 30s and 40s, but they've been working on sci fi uh, content novels and scripts and and, uh, you know, illustrations, comic books, all of these authors and writers for the past 10 years. And their stuff is coming out like um, we, we know this this one writer who has planned this 18 book series and he's published. Wow. Oh he's published six and he's full, his full-time job is to write and promote his series and he's just one of the many many writers in uh china that are that are producing their own uh, that are writing their own books and then many young filmmakers that are really trying to dedicate their art to science, science fiction it's um especially now with uh there are different awards set up as well of course there's the world hugo awards which chinese people mm -hmm. have won twice um, one with the three body problem author and there's another uh, Chinese writer there's also the Galaxy Award here in China within China that's set up for scientific novels uh, sci-fi novels as well and that's also a very high recognition and then at the mm. Chengdu Sci-Fi Convention because you know the China Sci-Fi Convention that both Jason and I attended it's fun it's big and it's you know whatever mm -hmm. I really felt the impact of Chinese uh, sci-fi content in Chengdu because the whole mm -hmm. giant so the sci-fi the world sci-fi conferences is annual but it go to a different wow. city every single year it was in Chengdu this year it was wow. in Chengdu and that whole the Chengdu sci-fi convention center it's a magnificent building and there were so many people there's so many Chinese people and that event is not really like super open to the public especially when it comes to award ceremonies and stuff mm -hmm. but it was huge stadium packed out by writers and just content producers for sci-fi. So wow. absolutely big yes to that question, Jason. Wow. Well, I want to talk about different kinds of mediums through which uh, this kind of content is coming out. Because clearly, mm -hmm. from my layman, normal person's perspective, the movies are coming out. So you have Three Body Problem, you have uh, The Moon Man, Wandering, uh, Earth, uh, Wandering yeah. Earth, all these kind of stuff. Are, are there television to accompany that? Or is it in manga? Is it in cartoons? Mm. What what vehicles are is this new genre mostly emanating through? Where is it coming out? It's like, uh, think of it as, uh, what's a good, uh, what's a good uh, analogy? Think of it as a, um, I don't want to say virus, but think of it as something <laughs> that's really easily spread. Give me an example. Example. Give me an, uh, you know, that what's that little flower called that you blow and the seeds fly everywhere? Oh, den as a dandelion or something? A dand dandelion, yes. Um, with this, think of it as a dandelion. It's really flying to every corner of this uh, field. First, first of all, the three body problem TV show came out last year and it was super mm. popular. Um, and then uh, I know that in animation, there's a lot of content developers that are trying to make their story sci fi because it is a very easy view 
vehicle for a lot of things to happen. And it might be a little cheaper. It might be a little more uh, achievable than doing it in, in live action movies. But live action movies, you will already know there's the big, big, big hits uh, sci-fi movies. And the director of Wondering Earth has his own um, studio now that's helping develop more content that's sci-fi related. And it, and then there's uh, apparently there's also sci-fi short shorts on short video platforms like Douyin and oh, yeah and and yeah. WeChat channels so it's kind of just it's seeping into every kind of medium because people are it's it's well received by the audience so it's kind of going everywhere when I was a kid uh, this last question because we were pretty much out of time here when I was a kid we liked comic books is that our comic books popular in China I think it is because there are always IPs that are from comic books comic books that get turned into movies mm. it's just that I'm not personally a comic book <laughs> fan either but it's always bear in mind there's 1.5 billion people in China, <laughs> yeah. so it's always a huge fan base all right well thank you so much for answering all those questions if you want to be part of this conversation you want to add to this you want to tell us about your book you want to talk about movies that you've seen in china you want to ask us a question please email us at we love the bridge at gmail.com and if we like your comment we'd be happy to talk about it on the air thank you so much for your time listeners thank you so much for your time alex thank you jason always a pleasure 